0: I believe that Solomon is slowly realizing that if we want to find the answers that our heart longs for most, we need God to lead us to a place that we cannot discover on our own. Because left to ourselves, we will not find meaning and purpose within the limits of this world. Our heart is deceitful and desperately sick, and so really the worst possible thing that we could do is follow our heart. It's not going to lead us to where we can be satisfied ultimately through faith in Christ alone. We need God to bring order and purpose to our broken lives. If we really want to navigate life well, we've got to learn to trust in Him way more than we trust ourselves. Because only God can help us become everything He's created us to be. As we talked about in communion this morning, we were made to flourish in a life-giving relationship with him. This morning, we're going to begin to look at some of those characteristics of a a life that is lived in a relationship with God, a life that that trusts in him more than it trusts in ourselves, a life that is marked by contentment, a life that is marked by community, a life that is marked by a teachable heart. I believe if you look at the life of Solomon up to this point, these are things that he's been missing. These are things that he's now recognizing he needs to learn how to live. Because only when we learn how to walk in this kind of wisdom do we learn how to navigate life in a world of extremes. A life that that is centered around contentment and community and a teachable heart. And so, if you would turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and let's see how Solomon unpacks this for us. Beginning in verse 4. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 4, he says, I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. As we've seen, Solomon is a poet. And these are the first of three kind of scenarios or examples that he's going to give that give us an understanding of wisdom in life in a world of extremes. And Solomon begins by looking at a man who is highly successful, but he tells us that that success was ultimately motivated by selfish ambition. This goes back to that mindset of scarcity that we've been talking about as we think about what it means to live life within the limits of this world. is believing that we have a limited time with a limited amount of resources. And so if that's your perspective, then more for you means less for me. And, and I need to compete in order I, for, for me to get my piece of the pie. I'm willing to be generous, but just so long as I get what I want first. In fact, some of the most successful people in our society have been the most ruthless in their pursuit of success. Let me give you two words to prove my point. You ready? You're fired. (laughs) Some of the most successful people in our society have been the most ruthless in their pursuit of success, time and time again. We see the carnage of successful people as they claw their way to the top competing with their neighbor to get what they want. But we can justify it in our world to say it's all in the name of friendly competition, right? Well, it's only friendly when you're on top. All bets are off when someone gets what you want or has what you want. That's when friendly turns to ruthless because more for you means less for me. And I need to compete for my piece of the pie that success based on selfish ambition Solomon looks at that and then he goes to the other extreme and he says that that one is just as damaging he says the one the fool is the one who folds his hands and consumes his own flesh by folding his hands he's talking about someone who ultimately is refusing to work someone who believes that whatever that requires is somehow beneath them I mean, I'm not going to sack groceries. I mean, I have a college degree, for goodness sake. Why would I want to do something like that? Pride is just as much a play in laziness as it is in selfish ambition. God created us to be productive members of society. We were called to cultivate the earth that God created. We were called to be good stewards of all that he has made possible. God called us and commissioned us to work. And let me remind you that we were called to work before the curse of sin ever came into play. It made it harder, but work was ultimately a gift from God. And so by refusing to work, we are rejecting God's divinely ordained purpose for our life. Not only does our laziness eat away at what we have, it eats away at who we become. It goes against God's design for our life. And if Solomon has learned anything, he's learned that when you go against God's design, it ultimately leads to ruin. Solomon looks at both of these extremes, worldly success, irresponsible laziness, and he says, you know, there's actually a better option. He describes it this way. He says, one handful of rest is better than two fistful of labor and striving after the wind so here's what we're going to do everybody take your two hands and ball them up in a fist really tight as you can okay everybody got it let me see them everybody's got them all right take your two hands hold them in this ball fist take the hymnal and turn to page number 223 keep your hands fist go ahead give it a try it is not going to work okay let me just save us a lot of trouble it's not going to work don't even try tim i know what you're doing (laughs) Gifts are ultimately a sign of rebellion. It is grasping onto what we have as if we are going to lose something if we lose what we've held tightly to. The image that comes to my mind when I think about this is when they have the, the, the chamber, that glass chamber that somebody can get inside and the air is blowing and dollar bills are flying or $100 bills or $50 bills and everybody's just grabbing it and just stuffing it and just doing it. And I think that's what Solomon has in mind. Two fistful, you are laboring to get everything you can because your life depends on you having everything you can grasp. And Solomon says, no. Better is a hand that's full of peace than two fists full of striving after the wind. When I think about that, I think, well, he says one handful of peace. What's the other hand doing? I think the other hand is doing what they can with what they should. I think this is a picture of contentment. The open hand is willing to receive when necessary and willing to give when necessary. It's learning to live a life of contentment with whatever you might have in life at that time. The way that I can see this best described is from what Paul has to say in Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 11. Listen to what he says. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Here it is. The secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. The secret is verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ Who strengthens me? See, this verse is not a promise that God will make you wealthy if you're poor. Nor is it a promise that God will give you more if you're a good steward of what you have. It's a promise that you will have inner peace despite whatever outward circumstances that you might live within. It is a hand filled with peace because they are trusting in the hand of God. It's looking outside of yourselves. And believing that he is faithful to provide. Look at how he continues back in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 7. He says, then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man who without any dependent having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all of his labor. Indeed his eyes were not satisfied with riches and he never asked. And for whom am I laboring? In depriving myself of pleasure, this too is vanity and it's a grievous task. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to one who falls where there is no other to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily torn apart. In this second scenario, Solomon begins with a man who we learn has no children, no siblings, apparently no friends. He lives in the tyranny of the urgent, where there's always something that needs to get done. But he's not working for something that he doesn't already have because he really already has everything he needs. He's got all kinds of money, and yet, like Solomon, he's still longing for something more. He's not working to live. He's living to work. This man probably has the best things that life has to offer, but no one to share them with. His his stomach is full with all the finest foods, but his table is empty. He's living a life of luxury, but he's completely alone. And Solomon is telling us that togetherness is better than loneliness, even if each other is all you have. The work we do is more rewarding than the work we would do alone. Because it's really not just a matter of getting work done, it's enjoying who you're with. Solomon is describing a life that's lived within community, a life that is built around relationships. Relationships. Because I think Solomon understands we were created to live in community. God said, let us, key, key word, let us create mankind in our image. The God who exists in the undivided fellowship of the Trinity. We sang about it this morning in the song, Holy, 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were created out of His image. We were created out of community. To live within community. It's a part of God's design. It's part of what it means to be created in His image. This explains why God said it's not good for man to be alone. That's because being alone goes against God's design. We were created to live within community. We were created with interdependence because no one person has everything they need. That's why Solomon says if one falls, if there's another, at least he can pick him up. If someone gets cold, at least if there's two, they can huddle together. You simply cannot generate heat on your own. I've been in the wilderness and I understand that one of the things that you have to be careful of if you start to get hypothermia and you're alone and there's no way to get warm there's a point in which you cannot recover it will spiral out of control and people die because they cannot get warm on their own he's saying two are better than one if you fall into a pit you can't climb on top of your own shoulders in order to get out you're stuck Bottom line is you cannot be healthy if you choose to live in isolation. You were created for community. Solomon says it's way too easy for the enemy to overpower someone who is alone. It doesn't take much to figure that out. Just go watch a nature show. Look at who they attack. The one who is isolated, the one who is alone, the one who's injured, the one who's sick. He says two are better than one. And actually, three are better than two. He says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And when you think about that, I don't want you to think of three individual strands lining up next to each other. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a cord. So he's talking about those three strands being braided and twisted together. So not only does it increase in its strength, but it also covers each other's weaknesses. That's what a rope does. In the end, true strength is not living in the absence of weakness. True strength is learning to depend on the support of other people. Relying on gifts that you do not possess on your own. In fact, for me to become everything that God's created me to be, I need you to be everything that God's created you to be for me. And the same is true for you. We were created with an interdependence where my well-being is based on the ability to have a relationship with others who possess gifts and abilities that I do not have on my own. But because God designed us for community, he intends for us to live in a way that we love and support one another. Isolation is the enemy to spiritual growth and our emotional well-being. We were created for community and walking in wisdom begins with living in a life of community, especially in a world filled with extremes. Look at how he continues in verse 13. He says, A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. He says, I have seen all living under the sun. Uh, Throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who are before them. And even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after the wind. This final scenario is kind of a rags to riches story. It talks about a man who came out of prison to become a king. It tells us that he grew up in poverty, so maybe he was in prison because he had to steal for food. Or maybe he couldn't pay his debts. We don't know exactly what got him there. But somehow he overcame the odds and worked to a place where he was the highest ruler in the land. A king that was highly admired by all the people. But in his old age, he lost his ability to learn. Solomon tells us that when a a lad came up to maybe offer advice or give his opinion, he was no longer willing to, to take advice. Solomon said, the king no longer knew how to receive instruction. Like we witnessed in the other scenarios, I think the issue here is the same as it is in all of them. And it's an issue of pride. This king had become really good at giving answers, but no longer good at taking advice. Especially from a young man who was half of his age and probably half his life experience, if that. But the king is ultimately revealing a fatal flaw in character no matter what your age. Young or old, we become foolish when we no longer have a teachable heart. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much you've accomplished. There's always more for you to learn. This is an important lesson. I think especially the older generation of which I'm increasingly becoming a member of, right? We have to be careful not to look at the younger generation as if they have nothing of value to offer. We have to be careful not to categorize people based on generational stereotypes. You know, all millennials are are lazy and unmotivated. That's simply not true. The older generation must be careful about not becoming cynical and critical and unkind. Judging the younger generation as somehow inferior to their own. Now, they may have a lot to learn, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing of value that they have to offer. We are both better off when we learn to listen to each other. But regarding... Regardless of your age, your relational health is ultimately tied to your teachable heart. Humility is the key to a healthy marriage. Humility is the key to a healthy family. Humility ultimately is a key to a healthy church. In fact, the wisest Christians are those who listen to counsel and accept correction. Once you become an expert in everything, you instantly become a fool. Proverbs 26.12 says it explicitly. Listen, it says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. As soon as you become an expert in everything, you instantly become a fool. So as we think about what Solomon has walked through this morning, I think we see a pattern. And it doesn't take long to figure out the pattern, right? It's a pattern based on pride. Pride leads to both selfish success and irresponsible laziness. Pride wrongly assumes that I can make it on my own or that I have all the answers. But God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Wisdom in this world is a heart that looks beyond this world to see the sovereignty of God. A heart that admits, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. And not only do I need you, I need others in my life as well. And no matter how much I might know, at any given season in my life, there is certainly more for me to learn. This is where true wisdom in this world has to begin. It must start with humility. So as we finish up this morning, I want us to take some time just to consider how does this apply to our daily lives. What does this look like? First, we need to admit our need for God. We need to recognize that our first response is a heart that is willing to turn to Him, trusting in Him more than we trust in ourselves. It it talks about a a daily pursuit of knowing and, and following Christ, spending time in His Word, being devoted to prayer. I've shared with you before about some of my own struggles in life and some of the pattern that I've had where I've struggled with anxiety and depression. And one of the things that the Lord has taught me in recent days is that very often the issue of worry in my life centers around an issue of unbelief. I'm focusing way too much on me and my inadequacy And not enough on God and his faithful provision. Because the more I focus on me and my problem, the less I'm spending time trusting in my Savior. My issue of worry and anxiety is not solved by strategies and implementing different uh, medications. Although those may be helpful, but hear me out on this. If I don't get to the issue underneath the issue, I'll never find healing and hope. I've got to understand and be honest with myself and realize that part of the problem with worry in my life is an issue of unbelief. I need to grow in my faith. I need to come to a place that when I encounter a difficulty, I don't immediately start trying to solve it in my mind as if the answer depends on me. I need to stop whatever I'm doing in that moment and turn to the Lord and say, I need you. I need you to provide for me Something I do not possess on my own. I need to trust in him way more than I trust in myself. My ability to deal with any troubles that I might face tomorrow is completely dependent on my willingness to abide in Christ today. If we want to walk in wisdom, I sincerely believe that's where every one of us need to learn to live. But that doesn't mean that we don't need other people. God created us to live in community, and it's not good to be alone, including in our walk with God. We need other people to speak truth into our lives. In fact, I think one of the ways God has most consistently spoken truth into my life, other than time in his word, is through the voice of other people. Friends like Carrie and Mark and those that I live life with. I'm sitting here with two men that I've talked about for years. Where I go away once a year to invest time for the last 20-something years. Where they have been invited to speak truth into my life. And I can't imagine what my life would be without men like that. Because left to myself, I'm a wreck. And I need people to come alongside to encourage me, to remind me what is true, to point me to the promises of God, and to tell me, God's got this, and he's got you, so press on, my brother. And I don't know how many times I've heard that from these sweet friends. Year after year after year, we were made to live in community. Alone, we are vulnerable to temptation, but together, we protect and encourage one another. Alone, we get lost in our own selfishness, but together we learn to serve and see outside of ourselves. That's why we keep bringing up small groups within the context of life in Melanie Park Church. It's an intentional effort to live life together. Apart from fellowship with other believers, our faith is stunted, and we are susceptible to sin. And deception. So spend time with God. Have fellowship with other believers. You will not find healing and hope in your life as long as you choose to hide. Isolation is an enemy. It will shipwreck your faith. So spend time with God and enjoy the fellowship with other believers. Abide in Christ. Live in communion. And then finally, never stop learning. And I think this is particularly important for where we are in our church today. We are in a season of transition in the life of this church right now. If you don't believe me, then when you leave today, and I would encourage every one of you to do so anyway, go look at the pictures on the wall out in the foyer. Missionaries that have been raised up from within the body of this Christ. Many of these, John, were the missionaries that were raised up when you and Janice were here. And most every single one of them has either retired or will soon retire. We need a new generation of men and women who are willing to sacrifice worldly success to share the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. We need men and women who are willing to set aside worldly success just to serve on staff at our church perhaps. We need a new group of ABF teachers. We need a new group of small group leaders. And that doesn't mean that the people who are doing it now are not doing a good job because they're doing a wonderful job. But what I am saying is that the older and younger generations need to come together. If you are in the younger generation, let me admonish you to step up and to speak out. Absolutely love your family. Absolutely establish your career. But please, for the sake of the gospel, do not stop there. Don't close your fists so tightly that you forget how to serve. We need you. But for us in the older generation, we need to be better at passing the baton. We need to learn how to invite input. We need to be willing to listen. We have a responsibility to raise up the next generation, knowing that we are both better when we stand together. The passage that comes to my mind is in Philippians. It says, stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel. I believe what Paul is describing there is life within the body of Christ for the sake of the gospel. That's what we are called to together. So we need to abide in Christ. We need to live in community. We need to never stop learning. That's ultimately what is required if we want to walk in wisdom within a world of extremes. So let me encourage you to take this truth from Solomon because, let's be honest, up until now, it's been a little Discouraging with some of the things that he's been saying when he looks at life in this world and he says, man, if this world is all there is, then it's not worth living. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not all there is. There is a God who has ordained a plan to save the souls of man and is so intentional about that plan that he sent his one and only son to pay a price that nobody in this room could ever pay. And God didn't do that so that that he could do for us something that we would have had to do ourselves, because that's not true. Nobody in this room could have paid the penalty that was necessary to forgive their sins. I don't care how great the sacrifice might have been. We have been called to be crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know what that means to you, but to me, that means a life of sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. A life of sacrifice of maybe comfort or or wealth for the sake of the gospel. It's a life that's unwilling to live in isolation. It's a life that's unwilling to hide sin. It's a life that is committed to community. is committing to abiding in Christ of utter dependence upon him and admitted dependence upon one another because that is what God designed. And if you want to flourish in life, then live within the boundaries of God's design. If you want a quick trip to ruin, then live outside of God's intended purpose. In your marriage, in your family, in your career, there are no limits. So let me encourage you this morning that you take this word to heart. And you consider what it means to walk in wisdom in a world of extremes. If you would, let's stand together and let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this church family. Father, we, we recognize together, I think there's anybody who's been at this church for very long would agree when I say that we are in a season of transition, that we need to be very intentional about what life and ministry looks like at Melanie Park 10, 15, 20 years down the road and begin to prepare for 20 years down the road right now. I pray for each and every person in this room that we would understand that part of preparing for 20 years from now is abiding in Christ today. It's being devoted to a life that is completely and utterly dependent upon you. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. And not only do we need you, you created us to live in interdependence with one another. We need each other. So may we live intentionally in a life that is full of busyness that wants to pull us in a thousand directions and may we look at all those pressures and stresses and say, absolutely not. You will not have your way. You will not control my path. I am going to live according to God's design and I'm going to invest in meaningful relationships within the body of Christ. And may we live with always a heart of humility so that no matter how much we No, we realize there's still more to learn. That you protect us from being critical or judgmental. That we seek to see the good in other people. We seek to bring out their best. We seek to sacrifice some of our own desires for the benefit of someone else. Lord, ultimately, that we might seek to be like you. Who did not consider equality with man a thing to be grasped. But you set aside that glory in order to live among us. May we follow your example, Lord. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.